it's hard to sell while you're doing the work. So <laughs> how'd you get, you had to get the second job and the third job. How did you start to grow? Yeah, it was a lot of late nights. It was seven days a week. It was just, you know, never giving up, uh, just working nonstop. Uh, just, it's, it's a hunger that you have in your belly. When I worked for the framing carpenter that I worked for, I saw what he was doing. And I looked at this guy and I thought, you know, I want to be this guy. I mean, I wanted it so bad, I I almost shook. Welcome to the Small Business Safari, where I help guide you to avoid those traps, pitfalls, and dangers that lurk when navigating the wild world of small business ownership. I'll share those gold nuggets of information and invite guests to help accelerate your ascent to that mountaintop of success. It's a jungle out there, and I want to help you traverse through the levels of owning your own business that can get you bogged down and distract you from hitting your own personal and professional goals. So strap in, adventure team, and let's take a ride through the safari and get you to the mountaintop. Alan, we're back, and here we go. The Small Business Safari continues to march up the hill on its way to that successful mountaintop we're all trying to get to, and it's good to be back just a week later. We're back at it, doing it again. I know. It feels like it's been weeks, Alan, and for the first time ever, you're the one who was gone. I know. I actually, but I had an event. It wasn't just gallivanting around the world like like you do. Where was the event? It was in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, but it was a wedding. I mean, you know, it was a noble thing I did. Oh, as opposed to Vegas, uh, Acapulco, yeah, everything got, else that you do. Yeah, I just got done uh, booking some more. Napa. Uh, yep. That was, that we did was, swing through Charleston. Yeah. One of my favorite food cities. Nice. What'd yeah. you have there? Where'd you go? Lots of shrimp and grits. Uh, I don't even want to tell you my favorite place on the air because okay. I just wanted to stay local. All right. Well, thanks for, I guess, again, <laughs> we won't be getting another sponsor here. That's right. <laughs> But let's get after it. We've gotten some great feedback on the podcast before we introduce our guest. Um, got uh, Had a person reach out to me uh, through LinkedIn and said, Chris, I've been following your podcast. Uh, like all the information you're sharing with everybody, you've given me the courage. I am retiring from the U.S. Air Force, and I'm going to start my own business. I had entertained getting into other companies, but I decided I'm going to do my own. And thank you for being the inspiration and keep doing what you're doing on the podcast. That's unbelievable. What's his first name? Let's give him a shout out. All right. Uh, now you're putting me on a spot. I have to look him up again. I think his name was Mark. Well, thank you for your service. First of all, while Chris is looking you up. Yeah, I got it. I do. You know what? I, I wasn't very prepared, but I will be prepared in just a minute. Did I fluster you? You did. I'm, I'm off my game and I haven't even got to introduce <laughs> Andy yet. I mean, come on, man. That's really cool, though. I love the way uh, the listeners reach out. Yeah, I, I mean, got, on a regular basis. I got another voicemail this morning from another guy that I'm going to call back uh, tomorrow um, because he wanted to kick some ideas around based on what he had heard on the podcast. So I I have it. It's not Mark. It is Matt Denton. Well, Matt, thanks for being a listener, and thanks again for your service. Yeah, Matt, and, and I'm I, sorry I didn't have and I hope, on my phone. And I hope Matt keeps us posted. I mean, he's talking about writing a business plan. Yep. He's doing it all, so I do, I do hope he keeps us posted. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, so keep it up out there. Keep doing the thing. Keep listening. Keep following. Keep subscribing. Uh, I found out that uh, on Spotify, we're actually our numbers are going up, 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 uh, believe it or not, uh, because I thought Apple was the only place that people went to listen to podcasts. But no, Spotify is starting to pick up for us. So we appreciate you. We appreciate this. And let's go get started and get some more gold nuggets. Today, we have Andy Apter. 
who is the NERI president. If you've been following the podcast, uh, you know that I'm a member of NERI here in Atlanta. NERI is the National Association of the Remodeling Industry. But what I've really enjoyed about my time with this group, and you've heard me talk about it, is that I get to meet so many cool people who know how to run businesses, and we get to bounce ideas off each other. And we know we're doing right by people when we're out there being contractors in the world, and we're doing the right things, as opposed to a lot of people doing the wrong things. So Andy is a remodeler in the D.C. area. I'm going to have him uh, tell me exactly what city he's in in a minute. But he has also uh, stepped up, and he's volunteering. This is a volunteer role, not getting paid for it to be the president of the entire North American National Association of the Remodeling. That's Institute. a big job. I think so. Especially with people like you. I'm sure he's had to write you up or sanction you a couple of times. He did come personally visit us in Georgia just because he had heard about the loud bouts in Georgia. Believe it or not, <laughs> I was only one of many in our group, but we're pretty active. And that just shows our passion. But Andy, after after remodeling, welcome. Thank you. Um, yeah, there was a lot of loud mouths in that room. <laughs> that one- <laughs> You're bored, uh, but I enjoyed it very much. It was a great visit. That's great. Uh, Andy, so before we get started, uh, we asked for bios and headshots from everybody, and uh, Andy writes back his bio, and it starts off with, born in Germany. I'm like, whoa, so you're a German. Was. I became an American citizen when I was in third grade, but I was a German before that, and uh I didn't realize what a big deal it was until I came back to the class after becoming a citizen and my teacher promptly had me go in front of the class, explain what happened. Um, a lot of which I didn't understand and know that young, but, uh, yeah, I became a citizen when I was, uh, in third grade. That's really cool. Um, Do you have a lot of family back there still? I do. I have cousins and aunts and uncles still in, in, uh, Germany in the, uh, South, uh, Western part of Germany near Frankfurt. Do you speak German? Yeah, Ah, beautiful. If I even understood, that was good. Said I I speak a little German. Oh, thank you for translating for me. I'm so I'm so happy we did that. Um, so uh, when you obviously came with your parents, moved over here, uh, is that how you got here? So my mother remarried, and uh, she remarried to a guy that came to Germany. Uh, He was studying to be a dentist. Is um, and before he left, he was stationed in Germany. He was in the army. And before he left, his mother said, whatever you do when you're over there, don't marry a German gal. And uh, what did he do? He met my mother and married my mother, uh, told my mother, a lot of GIs probably told this story. Um, I'm going to go back to America and then I'm going to send you to America. I'm going to have a plane ticket for you and your son to come to America. And he left. And But he was there when we got to the airport in America. So he held up his end of the bargain. Oh, cool. Wow. Look at that. All right. So, uh, did you, are you always been from the DC area and, um, or, or did you end up moving towards there? I lived in Maryland, uh, most of my life. Uh, once, once I came to, uh, the United States and, uh, I've lived in Maryland and, uh, right now I'm in Annapolis, Maryland, which is about, uh, 20 minutes outside of DC. Gotcha. On the uh, Chesapeake Bay. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful area. And if you, can, you can't see this in the podcast, but he's, uh, coming to us live from his house and it's beautiful but i don't think that looks like maryland to me so we might this is is sarasota sarasota florida i have (laughs) have another home in sarasota florida beautiful so let's get into the uh, how you got into the remodeling business uh is it something you grew up into is it something that you somebody inspired you to do or are you doing something completely different how'd you get into it you know it was funny because growing up my dad and i we built a 
playhouse outside one time and we were, you know, putting it together and you would think, wow, you know, and once I put something like that together, I'd have an interest in it. And I really didn't. But I think I kind of fell into it. I was uh, in between high school and college. Well, in between high school, I uh, worked construction. And then between, when I went to college, when I came back from college, I worked construction. And I had this brilliant idea with my dad that I told my dad that I want to take a year off and you know work construction. And my dad said, well, where are you going to live? And I said, oh, I'm going to live here. He said, no, you're not. So <laughs> I ended up kind of falling into it. I, I took to it really quickly. I I was really lucky that I uh, apprenticed under a, a master framer, probably to this day the best framer I've ever seen. And uh, I was the runt, the grunt that was carrying the lumber and learning on site. Uh, the carpenter I worked for didn't want to teach me because he knew if I learned, I'd leave. And uh one thing I felt every day at the end of the day, carrying all that lumber was that I knew that that house wouldn't be there if I didn't carry the lumber. So I had like ownership of the position and respect for it. I apprenticed for maybe two years. After two years, I told my boss I, I was cleaning offices at night for a, a uh, attorney who incorporated me because uh, I knew I wanted to go into business for myself. And I said to my boss, I said, you know, I, I got this job coming up putting uh uh, hip roof on a flat roof gas station. Um, and I think I'm going to go into business for myself. And he said, Hey, really? And I said, yeah. He said, Hey, good for you. If it doesn't work out, you can always come back. So that's all I needed to hear. And I never came back. I've been doing this for 42 years now. Holy cow. What did your dad want you to do? Uh, my dad being a professional, my dad, uh, is, is a retired dentist. And my mother and father both wanted education for me. They felt like college was the way to go. And part of the thing of where are you going to live when you take a year off? My dad was trying to scare me back into going to college because he <laughs> thought that was best for me. Um, but I, you know, <clears throat> I grew up in a white collar family. My dad provided really well for our family. And I knew that I wanted the same. And uh, I saw the opportunities early on. I saw in the construction field, I, I've always been a really good salesman and I've been a good craftsman and I was able to hire a lot of good employees. And, I, and I've had a very good career um, for, like I said, over 40 years. Is that a rare thing to be a great craftsman and a great salesman all at the same time? I think so. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, the business part of it came later for me. I, you know, there's a saying, the school of hard knocks. Um you know, I, I've paid a lot of prices for my mistakes and for what I didn't know. And uh, that's one of the things I really like about Nary is the education that you get, um, the certifications you get, uh, the training you get, and the ability that you get, uh, have a network and a place to learn. And I wish I wish I had had that when I started off because it would have saved a lot of headaches. But, uh, you know, better late than never, right? Yeah. No, well, you uh, obviously did did well. You started off, you had one job. You said, hey, I'm going to go start my own business uh, with one job. But you're like, you know, I'm going to fall back on my skills of sales. But at the time, you were a crew of one, uh, maybe yep. had a, another person. It's hard to sell while you're doing the work. So <laughs> how'd you get, you had to get the second job and the third job. How did you start to grow? Yeah, it was a lot of late nights. It was seven days a week. Um, it was just, you know, never giving up. Uh, just working nonstop. Uh, just it's, it's a hunger that you have in your belly. When I worked for the framing carpenter that I worked for, I saw what he was doing 
And I looked at this guy and I thought, you know, I want to be this guy. I mean, I wanted it so bad. I I almost shook because I just knew that I could fill that role. I knew that I could do that. And I, and I loved carpentry. I loved what I was doing. And ironically now being a remodeler, uh, remodeling um, contractor, which I've been exclusively doing for the past 25 years, um, having that carpentry background ironically came uh as a great skill set because that's probably the heart of the home and the bones of the home and one of the most important things and everything else revolves around the carpentry. So if I had have gotten a, a really good um, education in electric or in plumbing or something else, it wouldn't have served me as well as the carpentry did. So part of that I probably fell into. Um, and the other was again, just the hunger and the drive to learn and to succeed. That's uh, I, I mean, to know that at 19, 20 years old and to still be in the same business, um, clearly the two of us can't say that we did the same thing no. because we've been all over the board trying a lot of different things. And a lot of people have. And then we talk about that. You got to build your school, your skill set. You got to build your toolbox. You got to put those skills in that toolbox. And, you know, obviously I started my business a lot later in life, but you stayed with it. You stuck with it. You started to grow. When did you start to bring on your first employees and how old were you then? No, it was pretty quick. Uh, probably within a year, the first year. Um, I, I and I, actually, believe it or not, I still have that one of those first employees with me to this day. No way! That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to go in the not believing. I'm doing Ripley's. <laughs> no, no way! Oh my gosh! I mean, for as much turnovers we have in this business, which is really difficult, and you know that you, ha- you still have your very first employee. Yeah. Um, I used to pick him up from his house when we started because uh, he didn't have a car. And uh, he answered an ad in the newspaper for a, a carpenter's helper and uh, a great skilled craftsman to, you know, today. Uh, and I, I've taught him everything he knows, I would like to say. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Well, a testament to you and your, and your demeanor, you can tell, and the way you take care of people. So as you, you were growing, you started to add people. Um, when did you start to get off the tools? Do you have what it takes to start your own business? Are you tired of the nine to five corporate job and ready to make that leap into entrepreneurship? You need to check out From the Zoo to the Wild, the book by successful entrepreneur, Chris Lalomia. This book is a unique perspective on the journey into the wild world of home services and delivering excellence in service while working in customers' homes. Lalomia shares his path to success in this industry, including proven customer relationship strategies, award-winning customer experience processes, and a unique approach to training a team of service technicians to perform at the highest levels. Whether you're a small business trying to scale, or a franchise operation, From the Zoo to the Wild will give you the mindset, habits, leadership style, and customer-oriented processes to succeed as a small business owner in the world of home services. So if you're ready to take control of your future, get a copy of From the Zoo to the Wild today, available on Amazon. Probably in the mid nineties, um, 
I, I, I got to the point where it was more work to manage the business. Um, also, I, I ended up building an office for myself. I ended up buying a piece of property and putting a building on it and working out of it. So I, I took a, I retired my pouch and my hammer and because um, it was a full-time job. The business end is, is definitely a full-time job. Uh, it was a full-time job keeping the books, full-time job. Uh, going out and selling the business, full-time job, managing the business, managing the customers. Um, as 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 you know, you know you wear a lot of hats in this business, and the one thing you don't want to do is is get too many hats where you can't function. And I realized that I wasn't doing the carpentry well anymore. I wasn't managing that part of it, so I, it it almost came natural that transition because it got to the point in my career where it needed to be done. And and I did it. It's like you know, like when I started, it was something I just you you just did. So as you grow in a business, uh, we always talk about this. You, you always go through transitions. Um, so for you, it was putting down the pouch uh, and then starting to manage the business. As you go through those different periods and you've started to grow, you went from a framing contractor to a remodeler. What were what would you say was the hardest transition for you to make throughout these forty two years? The book bookkeeping end of it for me. Uh, you know, having a, a good set of books, understanding my financial statement, uh, checking the financial statement on a month, monthly or every two weeks, um, knowing uh, something that was going to go awry before it would go awry, having that skill set from the numbers. Uh, that was the hardest part for me. Was, was the business side just all learned on the job as you were going or did you have somebody in your ear guiding you a little bit? No, I, I, you know, it's funny along the way in my life, I've had mentors and I never even realized they were mentors until they were gone. Mm. Uh, until later in my career, I thought, you know, this guy used to talk to me and used to give me advice. And I didn't even realize it was advice when he was get doing it for me. Um, at one point, I had a uh, another builder that was a friend of mine. I was on a commercial project at the time and I wasn't getting paid by the uh, GC. And I was just having a casual conversation with this other builder friend of mine. And he says, oh, my God, those guys, are, you know, they're they're bad news. He said, uh, how much do they owe you right now? And I told him and he reaches into his desk. He brings out this big checkbook. He writes a check, hands it over the desk to me. And he goes, here you go. I said, what's this? He goes, well, this is just until the guy pays you back. And I said, well, he may not pay me back for a while. He says, you're good for it. Don't worry about it. I mean, that blew me away. I mean, it, it was a. Pretty good size check too at the time. I, I think I had it was a commercial trim project, and I think I had twenty carpenters on that job working on that job. It was a uh, it was a sport and racket club, and we were installing cherry uh, uh, wainscot, cherry crown, cherry doors, cherry windows. It was a high end mill and millwork project, and uh, I was in over my head because you must I must have been freaking out when that guy wasn't paying you. Yeah, of course I was freaking out because, it, and I, the backside of the story is I did have a line of credit and I tapped into the line of credit and I didn't have anything left on the credit. And this was a big DC contractor and they paid their people 90, 120 days out. That's just the way it worked. And I didn't know that going in. And here's this guy who's my mentor who believes in me and trusts in me, gives me a check sight unseen. I mean, it, tells me more of what he thought about me than I understood of how he felt about me at the time. Um, and of course I paid him back. Uh, 
the the contractor did make good with me on the end. The GC made good with me on the end. At that time, I was a subcontractor. And uh, again, these people come in and out of your lives, and you don't realize it, and and until they're gone, most of the time, of of how important they are, a big piece. Is your role in Nary your way of paying it forward? You know, it's it's funny that you ask me that. Yeah, it is. I always felt a, a desire in my heart to do something good, to do something right for my industry because I believe in it. And I, I feel like there's a lack of professionals in it and I want to give to uh, the industry. And when I signed on uh, before I became president, I was uh, secretary. It's, it's, you know, a five-year term to go through the process of being an officer and narrate. When I signed on, I always thought, what am I going to do when I become president? What am I going to do? What's what's my legacy? What am I going to do? But the irony is what I did when I was treasurer made a big difference. What I did when I was secretary made a big difference. What I did when I was president-elect. So there is nothing that I have to wake up in the morning and say, well, this is my goal. This is what I have to do. I've already done so much for the industry and for Nary. And continue to do that. And it's just natural when you're in that leadership role, when you need to step up and when you need to do make the right call and the right decision that you do it. And so I'm grateful that I'm in this position and I do feel like I'm making a difference. It may be a lot of small differences. It may not be different to someone else, but it's different to me. So it's it's been very rewarding and very fulfilling. I uh, I have to say it's uh Nary, uh, as an organization, is nationwide. Here in Atlanta, we've got a very uh, strong chapter. Apparently an obnoxious chapter. Obnoxious and loud, by the way. Yeah. Don't forget loud. Uh, very <laughs> loud. I wonder who's uh, the loudest. Uh, I believe it or not, I am not always the loudest. Uh, there is, uh, well, we've met one of the louder ones, uh, <laughs> the one who calls us seasoned. Yes. Uh, we're not old. We're seasoned. Oh, exactly uh, what you're talking about. Yes, you do. Amanda, <laughs> Amanda has been listening to the podcast. I'm going to tell her that we gave her a shout out here. But uh, again, that that's uh, when um, I was uh, actually, I was asked to come in and help. This is how I got into it. I was attending the Neri events and I'm running my business and selfishly, I'm trying to run my business and Neri is supposed to be giving me things. I'm not supposed to be giving them things back to you asking if Andy was paying it forward. I was, I was, I got, I got, they stuck me in and here's how we did it. Um, Mark Gailey. You were there to take. I was, I was take, take, take it, man. Yeah. And Mark said, Chris, can you can you help me out with our finances? And I got in there and started digging in and they were atrocious. Uh, the, the books were horrible. We were losing money as an organization. We were digging into our reserves. And uh, um, uh, so I started digging in and digging in and he goes, well, I think you should be the head of the finance committee. And I was like, well, no, I'm just here to fix the books. I, I got to get back to running my business. And then uh, he goes, no, I think you should do it. So I did. So he asked and I let, and I did, and now I'm the vice president and on my way to becoming a president one day here. And, uh, yeah, it, it is. Um, Andy uh, said this, and I want to talk about that a little so bit. You're more. after Andy's job? Oh no, no, oh. that national one? Oh it, no, 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 just no. the local. One. Back to uh, back to being. I got sucked into this, Alan. No <laughs> kidding, it's been great. No, um, it, it's been good. And, and I tell you what, it's uh, sometimes and, reluctant leaders are the best ones. Yeah, well, I'm in now, and I and I really enjoy. It. And uh, we talk about being a loud, obnoxious group. I'm telling you, I 
there are guys I uh, back to Andy's point about mentors. I mean, I can pick up the phone and ask a question. Uh, we had a great guy and we've had him on our podcast too, Dan Weidman, where I went to his office. I said, Hey Dan, do you mind sitting down with me and my remodeling manager went there, spent two hours with us, opened up his book, showed us how he does everything in his business, which is completely different than mine, but yet very similar, right? Cause it's still remodeling. So Andy, as you, um, as you worked your way into the Neri chapter and did things, um, did you find that the Neri people became some of your mentors that you said weren't really mentors at the time? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, but I, I, uh, myself and Joe Bowen, uh, founded the, our chapter, uh, we're the inaugural, um, members and we put this chapter together. It's called the, uh, Chesapeake Bay chapter. And, uh, we, it was necessary because uh, the only place in the D.C. metro area to go was to join the Washington chapter. And you'd have to go into Virginia and traffic is crazy. And um, it was just very difficult and to attend meetings. And the only other chapter in Maryland is Mid-Maryland, which is about 40 minutes north. And so uh, we founded this chapter. And, and I would say that Joe is a mentor of mine. He's also on the board right now on the national board and a great leader, a uh, smart guy. And uh, it always amazes me how I continue to learn things. And Joe has taught me some things indirectly just with conversations and just with his experience level and his dedication and all the organizations he's been members of, a member of. And uh, he's just a great business person and a, and a great leader. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be working with him. I'm grateful to be with him on the board. Um, and I'm grateful that he's, you know, a national uh, board member. All right. We'll come back to Neri in a little bit, but I got to get back into Andy. It, uh, Andy, uh, obviously outside looking in, you're successful. You know, 42 years, ran the business. You got a house in Annapolis. Um, you got a house in Sarasota. Um, we haven't gotten to some of the other things that he's very successful outside looking in. We'll get to that in a minute. Tease after Ooh. we do a little advertising okay and we'll punch that one all right okay you got you got, but, you got a secret i do i will come back with that secret you'll right. hear it right after this but now we're back so as we're back andy did you ever have a time where you said that's it i'm out of here i'm not doing this i'm giving up just this isn't working um my wife is looking forward to that day uh because she <laughs> she is semi-retired uh she's a dentist and she works about uh six seven days a month and um I cut back quite a bit, but um, no, you know what? Every morning I get up and I look forward to the new challenges that lay ahead. Um, I, I really like my customers. Uh, I like working with them. I like providing the service that we provide for them. And um, I must be doing it right, like you said, because I have a lot of repeat customers. I've worked for a lot of customers' kids. I've worked for their parents. And um, I... There's not a day that I goes by. I have frustrations like anyone else. Uh, sometimes I, you know, tug on my hair, but um, no, I really, I don't have those kind of days. And I think when that day comes up, I think it's going to be time for me to retire, to hang it up. Yeah, I think uh, that's, you're, obviously you're, you're in the minority on this one. Uh, well, number one, you've got hair. He doesn't uh, tug on it nearly as hard as we do. Clearly I've tugged on my hair way <laughs> too much, uh, but because um, I've gone through the ups and downs and it's been tough and um you know, I'm very proud that after 15 and a half years now, I've never missed payroll, uh, made it again this week, you know, and uh, 
it, but there are days, you know, there's times at three 30 in the morning. I'm like, what have I done? You know, I left corporate America. I had that job and here I am running my business, but you said something that that's what keeps me going and kept me going in the darker times is that when I woke up, I was like, all right, there are problems to solve and nobody better out there to solve them than me. So I'd rather take my own problems and solve my own. And then, so that's a testament again, back to your business. One of the things uh, that we want to talk about in your business, uh, you mentioned to me when we met in Atlanta, uh, you grew to a pretty good size and you're talking about scaling down a little bit. How big did you get? Um, and then when did you decide to start narrowing down your focus to just, and I forget the name of the city you're working in primarily now, but if you could share Annapolis. that. Annapolis. You're All right. You're, so you're right in Annapolis. I got you. Yep. So how how big did you get? And then as you're scaling it back, how did you start to narrow down your focus? So at one point, I thought it was really cool when I had 35 or 38 employees. Looking back on it now, I would never want that again, ever. Uh, it, you know, that was probably the, when you say the big, um, that was probably employee-wise the biggest I'd, I'd gotten. Um, but probably the past five years is the biggest I've gotten being small and lean and mean and having a small staff. And uh, I'm, I'm a subcontractor based company, I would say. And we call our subcontractors trade partners because uh, I've got subcontractors that work with me for 20 years. As soon as they hit someone's house and open the door, the drop cloths go down, the dust partitions go up. I mean, they protect and, and to provide the service that I would provide and know what I would expect. Um, so, but they're subcontractors. So from that standpoint, probably the greatest success has been probably the past five, six years. Yeah, that's a great testament. Is that we talk about bigger is better, and currently I'm at 35 employees. Um, and it's uh it's uh, 35 employees. I've got, believe it or not, and here we are talking about stuff in 2023. One of my employees came down with COVID uh and strep throat, and so she's my scheduler, and she is yeah, I got the hardest job in our company. And and she actually texted me with, I'm sorry that this has happened. Mm. <laughs> Deborah, you just go get better. We'll be all right. We'll figure this out. Uh, but you do, you, when you're, when you're big and outside looking in looks really successful, but there's a lot of plates that you're trying to spin uh, a lot of mouths. You're trying to feed a lot of families you're trying to provide for. And that um, I actually thrive under that stress and uh, pressure. I enjoy it, but um, yeah, it can wear you down after a while. So yeah, now that you've, uh, you you mentioned yeah. to me one thing. How uh, geographically you started to disperse a little bit when you were that big. Uh, you and again, um, I don't know Annapolis very well, and I I said in the beginning the D.C. area because it just shows you how little I know about the area. Um, how 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 spread out were you getting? And then you started to make a choice to to bring it back. I want to hear about that one because I think a lot of people missed this one a lot. Yeah. So what at one point uh, several decades ago, I was a Beltway bandit. Uh, there's a beltway that goes around the Washington area and I would hit all exits on that beltway and I would spend more time windshield dri time driving in a truck going from sites, places. Uh, we would have to go get material somewhere and it would be an hour expedition or an hour and a half. And I just realized there was a lot of waste. There was it being spread out over and we were in Maryland and Virginia at the time. We were kind of spread between two states, never mind the counties that we covered. And so I kind of got to a point right before the 2000 that I reassessed my business and I took a look at it and I thought, you know, this driving around is crazy. Uh, you know, it, it's just a lot of wasted time. And so then I concentrated on Anne Arundel County, which is a county that Annapolis is in. And 
pretty well cut said no to anybody that would call outside of that area, which was scary because you're turning down work just because they're outside of your territory. And uh, it paid off. Uh, it got a reputation locally. Um, and, you know, the phone is still ringing away um, on a local payout that, that has worked out really well for us. I think that's the uh, the point that I think a gold nugget in there is uh, bigger isn't always better. Better is better. Warren Buffett said it best. And geographically, at one point, there are times where you just got to sit back. Sometimes we start digging so hard as business owners that we just don't take a breath and go, wait a minute. Do I really need to be a beltway bandit? Do I need to really be driving two hours to pick up lumber because I can't find it anywhere else? Or maybe if I focus in one area, things will actually be better. And he just said, you know, last five years have probably been some of my most successful. And that's actually by lasering in, you know, moving in that focus as opposed to casting that wide brush, putting it in, getting that focus in. It's hard to do sometimes because your ego says, yeah, I'm working in two states. I'm working in 25 counties. I got 35 employees. Look at my big old revenue line. And you go, wait a minute, your sanity says what? Man, I'm tired. <laughs> so that's been excellent. All right, I tease this, but we've got to talk about this. We've, we have a good friend who's... um who is a Viper enthusiast. And one of the things that Andy shared outside of uh, work that he likes to do is he ha he runs and he's in the Dodge Viper club and has, I believe more than one, right? I have three. There we go. <laughs> different, and, different color for a different day or what, what's the deal with three Vipers, Andy? Um, different generations. The uh, first one I had, uh, the first generation yeah, I actually have the first production year, which is 1992. They made 285 cars in 1992. I have car number 187, and it has about 7,000 miles on it. Um, and then I have a Gen 3, which is a 2001, uh, excuse me, 2004 convertible. Um, and that car has uh, 505 horsepower. About 500 pounds of torque. And then I have a Gen 5, which is the last edition that they built. It's a 2014 and it's gunmetal gray and it has 640 horsepower and 600 pounds of oh. torque. And when I bought it, uh, I took delivery of it. I bought it from Woodhouse Dodge, which was, at the time was the largest Viper dealer in Nebraska of all places. And they, uh, when I bought it, I bought it on uh, online. Uh, they shipped it to my house, took it out of the trailer. I took it for a ride and I was doing about 90 miles an hour. And I remember I was shifting, I think from second to third or third to fourth, I forgot which one, but I didn't realize I didn't have the traction control. And when I shifted into the next gear, I let out the clutch and the rear end broke on me. And, uh, it was a mind boggling experience at 90 miles an hour, almost losing control of the car. So now when I take the car out, I make sure the traction control feature is on. Have you taken it on a track before? I have. Being a member of the Viper Club, um, actually in uh first week of September, I'm going to Colorado Springs to an event. I'm having the car shipped out there, and we go to different tracks. But um, I've driven on Charlotte International Speedway, Texas International Speedway, I've driven on uh, Cody, which is Circuit of the Americas, which is an amazing track. It's a Formula One track. I've driven on Miller Motorsports Speedway. Um, I've been to Detroit 
uh, been to Chrysler Proving Grounds. I mean, being a member of the club is almost as much fun as owning the car because when when I go next month to Colorado Springs, there's going to be between two and three hundred cars there. And uh, oh, Vegas International Speedway. I, I went to Vegas as well. What's what's your top speed? 185 miles an hour oh, in a uh, boy. A, Hello. A Gen 2, a Gen 2 Sapphire Blue 2001 ACR Viper uh, that was modified. It did 185 miles an hour in that car. Yeah, I think what, what what does this have to do with business? Well, listen, the business doesn't have to be defining you. This is you got to have some fun with what you do. Right, Alan. I mean, I get to take. I get to like. I like to take a few vacations. Yeah, you're I'm not taking member. it to the extreme, but that's okay. Right. I, I get where you're going with this, right? So, but that's why, I like, I mean, just for a minute, I had no idea there was this Dodge Viper Club. So after Andy had mentioned this, and um, I knew some guys who've had it, and we have the Atlanta Motor Speedway here. So I looked this like, this thing up, and I was like, man, what a pretty cool group to be part of, right? Um, so I just I thought that was really interesting, super cool. Do you have any other uh, interests outside of that hobby? Uh, I, I've been a snow skier my whole life, um, slowed down on that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I guess if you call coming down to Sarasota to my house down here, that's my hobby, uh, relaxed time. I got a nice pool here, uh, where a bike ride, a 15, 10 minute bike ride to the beach. Um, and it's a great spot here. So, uh, just enjoy being here with my wife and, and having chill time. Oh, that's Um, awesome. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess we'll go back to business if we need to. Um, do you have an exit strategy in mind uh, for what you're going to do? Not, I mean, not giving it away for people. Um, is it employee buy? Is it somebody strategically buy? Do you just hand the keys to somebody? Are you just going to um, just walk away? What were you thinking? Yeah, so I've already talked with a broker about selling the business. It won't be an employee. Um, and um, I talked with my accountant um, when I'm, get serious about it, which I suspect will be in the next few years. I'll get a lawyer involved and then I'm going to sell the business outright. Nice. And I think that's a testament to building a business with processes. Uh, you know, we've talked about that in their business as you, in, in any business you start, um, you, it's okay to talk about the exit strategy in the beginning, in the business plan. It's okay to figure out what you're going to do because what you're going to figure out what you can buy or if you need to start your own and then eventually what it's going to be worth, because as a business owner, we all think it's worth uh, usually two or three times more than it really is. And we also know the data says 82% of the businesses on biz by sell do not sell. Sorry, I don't remember the author, but there's a book written by a small business construction, small business construction owner. And it was called um, sell out or walk out. And it was just, like basic explanation of selling a business. And it was a really good read. It was a thin book. It's not that thick, but it, it, it was a, I'm sorry, I don't remember the author, um, but it, it was a really good read on what it takes to sell a remodeling business. And one of the things that he said would be the ideal thing to sell it to an employee. I'm just not in that position. Um, yeah. My employees are older like I am. And I think when I retire, they're not going to want a construction business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's what I actually have just been approached by uh, by a local company asking me if I would uh, buy out him as a handyman. He says, hey, I'm thinking about getting out. I'm like, really? Can you take me with you? He <laughs> said, no, 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 that's not what I was thinking. I was thinking uh, maybe you'd be interested in it. So we'll see what happens with that. And I've really enjoyed. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, but we can't let you go 
without number one, let's go ahead and pitch your business uh, after remodeling in Annapolis. You know anybody in Annapolis? That's where they got to go to get their remodeling done. Uh, I want to thank you again for your service with Neri and what you're doing as a, as a president. We're going to push this out not only locally, but try to get this out to the Neri uh, group as well, because I think this is a great testament to what this association could do. And uh, thank you for that. But Appreciate we've got to ask you a couple questions. Please. So you mentioned one book, but could you give us another book that you think our audience would really enjoy reading? This is a fantastic book. I personally bought it for a lot of friends. Um, I just send it to them. I don't even tell them that it's coming. I, I, I go on I go on Amazon. I put their address in and send it to them. It's called Can't Hurt Me. And it's by David Goggins. And he's the first Navy SEAL who also was on Delta Force. And first off, it is a badass story about a badass man who grew up in the worst of circumstances and rose to the top. And what I like about the book is at the end of every chapter, he does a recap of what you can learn and what you can take away and use for business, use for your personal life, whatever you want. Um, it's almost a dot to dots uh, way to of motivation and how to succeed. It's a fantastic book. I've read it several times. I've given it to my son. I've given it to my, my friends. Um, highly recommend that book. Well, David appreciates appreciates that one. Wow, what a great testimony that you just send this book to people. So, um, again, maybe we can get him on. Yeah, I and I think I need to read it. Yeah, he's, he's definitely going to read. He's, it. A fantastic, he's an amazing human being. When you read what this guy went through, it'll blow your mind. I've I've read some of it. Uh, well, I follow him on social media, so I I, I you're right. He's a motivating dude. I'm going to read that book too. I'm on. Also, Thank you. He also holds the world record for the most chin ups. Oh, I didn't know that. What's the number? I don't remember. I mean, it was, I don't want to say it was a day's worth of chin-ups, but it was something ridiculous. I mean, oh my I saw the video of him doing it, but he, he, he I, I don't know if he still holds the, the record, but at, at the time that I looked into it, he had the world's record for chin-ups. Yep. Oh boy. Uh, won't be going for that record. No, uh, there's a lot of other records we can shoot for, Chris. Yeah, all right. That one. All right. Let's keep going then. Yeah. Uh, Andy, as a remodeler, obviously you probably have some amazing spaces in your house, but what is the favorite feature of your home? So the favorite feature in my home is a, at the house in Annapolis. It's a walkout basement with a swimming pool there, an outdoor fireplace, an outdoor kitchen that overlooks the Severn River. And then when you go into the house in the basement, there's a huge commercial sized bar in the basement. Then there's a set of steps that go down to a pool room with a pool table. And then there's another, there are TV screens on the wall. And then there's a couple fireplaces down there. And then there's another huge screen on the wall and, and viewing area for football games and sporting events and movies. So w when you're in Florida, can we stay in your Annapolis home? <laughs> we could probably work something out. Do you, do you <laughs> I, know, I was going to say, yeah, can we go stay at that resort? That's right. I mean, that sounds like a, a rich Carlton resort, not a house. Beautiful. Actually, very nice. thank you. Uh, well done on the description, too, because I uh, visualized it very well. Mm -hmm. So that's gorgeous. Wow, that's great. All right. Um, we may be taking this question out, but I'm going to try anyway. Uh, what is a customer service pet peeve of yours when you're out there being the customer? So... When you say pet peeve, it's something that I don't like hearing or something that someone points out. 
So you can tell if you can't tell on the podcast, Andy has got to be like the coolest, smoothest, even keeled dude I've ever talked to. So I don't think anything really gets him upset. And because I'm the exact 180 opposite of that. So what I'm talking about is when I walk into a store, give somebody the eye like, hey, I need some help. And they run away. I actually literally start running after them. You'll actually see me in a dead sprint in the Home Depot if somebody doesn't help me. So that's a pet peeve of mine. Something yeah, I- it's something in the customer service process that maybe you think should be happening that just never does. Or when it doesn't happen, it drives you crazy. I don't really think I have one. All right. There you go. I, I This guy, I tell you what, I love his demeanor. I've, I've already learned that. You know, never get too high, never get too low. He's the ideal customer. And he is the ideal customer. Can I, can I, can can we, can we go work for you as handyman? (laughs) All right. Last question. Uh, Give us a DIY or a nightmare, a contractor nightmare story. Death, dismemberment, fire, flood. Unfortunately, this is the greatest and saddest story all wrapped up together. Um, About four years ago, I did probably one of the largest remodeling projects of my career. It was just under a $4 million remodeling project. And it was a couple. She had sold a large law firm and they had money was not an not an issue or an object. And they just wanted to do an amazing remodeling job. And he was driven on design. He was driven in the process and he loved the process. And he loved when we used to have meetings, he would have a refrigerator on site that he would stock with beers with the guys and the designer. And we would walk around and talk. And he just loved the process. And she loved watching him do it. She didn't love the process. And while we were working on the project, he was he was uh, determined. He found out he had brain cancer, and oh. it was terminal. And I talked to a doctor that I had as a customer, and he said 95% of the people with brain cancer die within the first year. And he did pass away. Uh, and while he was sick, his wife had to be involved in the construction project. Which he did not like making decisions. She did not like getting involved. So it was, it was very difficult. Uh, we worked with them to complete it. Um, and she pushed us in the end so that he could get in the home. Um, so that was, that was just heartbreaking. Um, it was one of the greatest projects in my career, but unfortunately it was the saddest project all at the same time. Wow. Did, Did he get to see it though? He did, but unfortunately, he was in a hospital bed in the media room. He couldn't walk the steps to get up on the second floor. The last time I saw him, he was in a hospital bed, and I literally had to pick him up to, so we could talk because he was laying down. Of course, I went to his funeral, and since then, his wife's been a, wi- a widow living on the property um, and seems to be pretty happy and worked work through it. But it was one of those stories that you just, you know, you can't believe happened. You can't. Uh, I'm telling you, man. Woo, I tell you, I was I was tearing up listening to that one. Yeah, that's that's got to be a hard environment, but uh, well done. Uh, well, you know, good on you for doing that job and getting it done. But yeah, wow, what, it's a bittersweet moment, I'm sure. Yeah. So, Andy, thank you again for coming on. This is going to be great. Uh, if you didn't learn something about how to be cool when you're working, you did not pay attention to this podcast. And if you made it all the way to the end and you're listening to me now, you are one of the 10 percenters because most of the people are usually bailing out and uh minute 40 and now we're on minute 48 so if you're here at 48 thank you for making it go out there make it a great day get up that mountaintop let's go see what success looks like for you we're out of here cheers thanks andy